In God We Trust. It's our national motto, reminding us of where our hope lies, as a nation and as individuals. Since 1977, your American Family Association has been a voice to proclaim that hope to America. We want to encourage you to be confident that God is in control in the midst of everything happening in our nation, morally and spiritually. We can trust God. And now, American Family Radio presents the In God We Trust series. Here's your host, John Riley. In the next 30 minutes, you are going to hear some amazing stories about miracles in American history, stories of answered prayer that perhaps you have never heard before. These stories uh, really underscore the fact that we are a nation under God and a nation founded on Christian principles. Our guest is Bill Federer, a nationally known speaker, best-selling author, and producer of AmericanMinute.com. Bill has a desire to reignite a passion in Americans to preserve our Judeo-Christian heritage. Bill, welcome. Great to be with you. Bill, you have done an incredible amount of research on our nation's history and have found dozens of instances when our, our the course of our nation was changed because of a reliance on God and prayer. Can you share some of those inspiring stories because you wrote a book all about that. Right. So we look at all of recorded human history and from the beginning of Sumerian cuneiform around 3300 BC up till now, uh, the most common form of government is what? It's a king. Nimrod, Tower of Babel, and Pharaoh, Caesars, Kaiser, Sultan, Tsars. And as the centuries go on, the kingdoms get bigger and bigger until finally the king of England had the biggest empire that planet Earth had ever seen. He had 13 million square miles, a half a billion people, all of India, a quarter of the world's population right there, Australia, New Zealand, Hong Kong, British, Guyana, Canada, and America. And when America's founders got the chance, they wanted to set up a government as far away from a king as possible. They actually flipped it and made the people the king, right? And so we see that there was miracles that happened for us to break away from this globalist king. Uh, Prior to the revolution, there was the Great Awakening Revival. And George Whitfield preaching to crowds of 20,000 people without a microphone. Could you imagine that? And uh, we first have the French and Indian War. And one famous story, the Battle of Monongahela. 1755, there's 1,400 British troops marching toward Pittsburgh, and they're ambushed by the French and the Indians. 900 British are killed. But there's a 23-year-old colonel uh, named George Washington riding back and forth, delivering orders for the British General Edward Braddock. Braddock is shot and killed, and uh, George Washington takes control of the forces. He gets back to Fort Cumberland, and uh, he writes to his younger brother, As I have heard since my arrival at this place, a circumstantial account of my death and dying speech, I take this early opportunity of contradicting the first and of assuring you that I have not as yet composed the latter, but by the all-powerful dispensations of providence. I have been protected beyond all human probability or expectation, for I had four bullets through my coat, two horses shot under me and escaped unhurt, although death was leveling my companions on every side of me. Well, this was a a miracle in American history that George Washington survived. Well, after the French and Indian War, the British are, again, the undisputed most powerful force in the world. And America's, uh, they leave their troops on American soil to make sure there's no more problems, right? But there's no barracks. And so they put their troops in your house and make you live in the attic and they would eat your food. And so a group gathered in Boston to protest and it was called the Boston Massacre. The British fired into the crowd. 
And then the king would give monopolies to his friends, and the Americans uh, were having to pay extra. And so that's when the Boston Tea Party happened in 1773. The British didn't like the Tea Party, so they blockaded Boston's harbor in 1774. And then they sent their troops to Lexington to confiscate our guns. And uh, the, the war begins, the Battle of Lexington and Concord. And then in June of 1775, the British decide not only to blockade Boston, but to take it. And they unload, they, they actually bring the wrong size cannonballs. They were going to soften up the American forces by showering them with cannonballs. And they had 12-pound cannons and 9-pound cannonballs. So they had to unload their 2,500 troops and charge up Bunker Hill and Breed's Hill. And uh, William Prescott tells his men, don't shoot until you see the whites of their eyes. And... Uh, 1,500 British are killed, and uh, then uh, the British finally do take uh, Boston, and uh, George Washington sets up the cannons on Dorchester Heights, and this causes the British to evacuate Boston. He sets them up on a day that the colony has a day of fasting and prayer, and so Washington orders his troops March 6th of 1776. The seventh being set apart by this province as a day of fasting, prayer, and humiliation to implore the Lord and giver of victory to pardon all our manifold sins and wickedness that it would please him to bless the Continental Army with his divine favor and protection. All officers are strictly enjoined to pay all due reverence on that day to the sacred duties of the Lord of hosts. Well, the day they're doing the fasting and prayer, uh, the British load 3,000 troops. They're going to charge up Dorchester Heights uh, from their boats. But a storm comes up, and it's so violent, the British have to abandon their attack, and they leave Boston. And so this was uh, a wow. miracle, so to speak. Uh, Washington said, Upon their discovery of the works the next morning, great preparations were made for attacking them, but the weather getting very tempestuous, much blood was spared, that this most remarkable interposition of providence is for some wise purpose, I have not a doubt. So this was just the beginning of the war. Uh, another is the Battle of Brooklyn Heights, if I have time to share that. Absolutely. And so the British respond by filling up the New York Harbor with the largest invasion force that uh, the world had seen to this point. They had 400 British ships with 32,000 troops and the firepower of the cannons on these ships. They had three levels of cannons. They had never been assembled before. And the harbor in New York looked like a forest of trees. And so the Continental Congress has another day of fasting. We earnestly recommend the 17th of May, 1776, to be observed as a day of humiliation, fasting, and prayer, and by sincere repentance and amendment of life through the merits of Jesus Christ, obtain pardon and forgiveness. Sounds like they were Christian. Yeah. And so Washington orders his troops, the Continental Congress, having set a Friday the 17th as a day of fasting, humbly to supplicate the mercy of Almighty God. The general commands all officers and soldiers to pay strict obedience to the orders of the Continental Congress. And so Washington uh, writes to his younger brother, we expect a very bloody summer of it at New York. We are not either in men or arms prepared for it. If our cause is just, as I do most religiously believe it to be, the same providence, which has in many instances appeared for us, will still go on to afford us its aid. Well, what happened? Uh, the, by the way, the word providence in Webster's 1828 dictionary says the care and superintendence which God exercises over his creatures. By divine providence is understood God himself. Well, the uh, Collins rush a copy of the Declaration out to George. He has it read to his troops. 
And uh, then the, he appoints chaplains to every regiment. They're definitely praying. Well, the British find a loyalist. What's that? That's somebody who lives on American soil, but they're loyal to the enemy. Sort of hard for us to imagine that type of person ever existed. But this loyalist shows the British where to land far away from the Americans and march all night long through Jamaica Pass and attack Washington from behind. So Washington has his troops facing the water. Think it's going to be like, you know, the Battle of Bunker Hill or Mm -hmm. the Battle of Dorchester Heights. The British are going to land from their boats and charge. Well, they don't. They march through Jamaica Pass and they attack Washington from behind on August 27th of 1776. 3,000 Americans die. Mm -hmm. Only 300 British. It's the largest battle of the entire Revolutionary War. And this is the entire American army. If we lose here, it is over. And so Washington watches the young uh, men from the 1st Maryland Regiment, 400 of them, they charge directly into the British lines time after time, and they all die. But they buy time for the rest of his army, and Washington watches them from a distance and says, Good God, what brave fellows I have lost this day. Well, the sun goes down, and Washington is now pinned up against the water with the 10,000 troops on one side and with the harbor filled full of the British ships on the other. And he's probably imagining that the next day he's going to be hung and America will be another British colony like Kenya or India. But instead, he gets every boat he can find and he ferries his troops across the East River to Manhattan Island. Well, the East River is smooth like glass, but out where the British ships are in the harbor, it's turbulent from a nor'easter wind. He's moving his horses, his cannons, his soldiers in darkness and and as quiet as they can be. And uh, he only moves about half his army when the sun starts to come up. Now he's really in a dilemma because he's not in a position to fight. And his chief of intelligence, Major Ben Talmadge, writes, As the dawn of the next day approached, those of us who remained in the trenches became very anxious for our own safety. And when the dawn appeared, there were several regiments still on duty. At this time, a very dense fog began to rise off the river, and it seemed to settle in a peculiar manner over both encampments. I recollect this peculiar providential occurrence perfectly well, and so very dense was the atmosphere that I could scarcely discern a man at six yards distance. We tarried until the sun had risen, but the fog remained as dense as ever. While they continued moving the troops, Washington was on the last boat that left. He uh, gets to the other side, the fog lifts for his charge, no one is there. This was the last chance the British had to capture the entire American army all at one place. Well, Washington later says, the hand of Providence has been so conspicuous in the course of the war that he must be worse than an infidel that lacks faith. But it will be time enough for me to turn preacher when my present appointment ceases. And that's just one of the battles. Um, Another one is the Battle of Saratoga. And the British took New York, and now they want to come down through Canada and take New York by land. So the British General Burgoyne's marching with 6,000 men, and he recaptures Fort Ticonderoga, heading down the Hudson River Valley. But what does he do? He meets with the Mohawk Indians and entices them to terrorize Americans. And they go in front of the British Army, scalping and killing Americans. Well, there is a... A loyalist, another loyalist named David Jones in a frontier settlement, and he kisses his fiancee, Jane McRae, goodbye, and he goes and joins the British general, Johnny Burgoyne. 
Well, as the army's getting closer to his settlement, he's probably anticipating seeing his fiancée again. Well, one night, the Indians come into the camp hooping and hollering with all their scalps, and he notices this nice, long, pretty scalp, and it was his fiancée, Jane McCrae's. The Indians couldn't tell who's an American and who's a British, and so uh, the camp forces Burgoyne to meet with the Indians and tell them to tone it down. Well, the Indians don't know tone it down. They know on and off. They're at peace, they're at war. They get offended and leave. And now you have the entire British army of 6,000 in the middle of the New York forest, and they don't know where they're at because the Indians had been their eyes and the ears. And so the Americans surround them, force them to surrender. It's called the Battle of Saratoga. Mm -hmm. And uh, 6,000 British surrender. That would be a big deal today if 6,000 troops somewhere on the globe had to surrender. And so the painting of the surrender of Saratoga is at the U.S. Capitol Rotunda. Word gets to Ben Franklin over in France. He tells the King Louis XVI, who decides he's going to help us in the war. And um, the Continental Congress is so happy, they have the first National Day of Thanksgiving after the Declaration. It's November 1st, 1777. With one heart and one voice, join the penitent confession of their sins, that it may please God through the merits of Jesus Christ mercifully to forgive and blot them out, and under the providence of God, secure for these United States the greatest of all human blessings, independence and peace. Wow. You know, Bill, uh, a lot of people, as you're sharing those stories, um, are just amazed at God's hand of providence on our nation. You mentioned prayer. You mentioned providence. But, you know, there's a lot of people today that would say, oh, that's just coincidence. You know, that just kind of happened. What would you say to those people? Well, we have the... uh, quotes from the actual founders themselves. And so at the Constitutional Convention, Ben Franklin said, In the beginning of the contest with Great Britain, when we were sensible of danger, we had daily prayer in this room for divine protection. Our prayers, sir, were heard and they were graciously answered. All of us who were engaged in the struggle must have observed frequent instances of a superintending providence in our favor. And he said, in the beginning of our contest with Great Britain, when we were sensible of danger, we had daily prayer in this room for divine protection. He says, our prayers, sir, were heard and they were graciously answered. He goes on to say, all of us who are engaged in the struggle must have observed frequent instances of a superintending providence in our favor. So here, the guys that were there, even uh, Sam Adams says, there are instances of an almost astonishing providence in our favor. Our success has staggered our enemies, almost given faith to infidels, so that we may truly say it is not our own arm which has saved us. The hand of heaven appears to have led us on to be perhaps humble instruments in the great providential dispensation which is completing. So the men and women that were there, they credited God. That is amazing. Our guest is Bill Federer, a nationally known speaker and best-selling author and producer of AmericanMinute.com, Miracles in American History, Amazing Stories of Answered Prayer, written by Bill. It's available from AmericanMinute.com, AmericanMinute.com. You'll find all kinds of exciting resources on that website. You can find more information about Bill's organization by visiting that website, AmericanMinute.com, AmericanMinute.com. Bill, the stories you have been sharing about God's hand on our nation are so amazing But I know we've only scratched the surface. There are so many more. Can you just share a a couple of more inspiring stories? Sure. Uh, These are all in a book called Miracles in American History and then a few DVDs. But one is Benedict Arnold was the hero of the Battle of Saratoga. 
he led a flanking charge very courageously. But he had married a uh, woman whose family were, were loyalists, and he had been passed over for some promotions. And she kept saying, these Americans don't appreciate you. And she put Benedict Arnold in touch with a British spy named John Andre. And so Benedict Arnold is now in charge of West Point, and he agrees to betray West Point for the equivalent of a million dollars on the exact day that George Washington was coming to inspect West Point. Wow. Now, mm. West Point's on the Hudson River, which goes north and south, cutting New York in half, cutting America in half, right, with the New England colonies on one side, Middle Southern colonies on the other. West Point was the biggest American fort. And so if the British could capture it, they'd have the biggest fort, they'd split our country on the Hudson River Valley, and they'd capture Washington. And so the spy, John Andre, meets with Benedict Arnold, and then he's dressed as a civilian, and he's sneaking back across the American lines, across no man's land. He's one bridge away from being on the British-controlled territory. And some soldiers come out of the woods dressed as German-Hessian troops. Now, the Hessians were hired by the British. And so Benedict Arnold blurts out, oh, it's great to finally see somebody that's on our side. Well, these <laughs> soldiers say, we're not Hessians, we're Americans, we're just wearing these clothes. And Benedict Arnold's like, oh, you never know who you can trust. I was just, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they said, well, you know what, we're going to search you once. They search him twice. They're about to let him go when they decide to make him take off his boot. And sagging inside of the sock they see something and they make him take off his sock and it's the map of West Point. Mm. So they arrest him. They're marching him back into uh, the West Point Fort and Benedict Arnold hears the ruckus out there and says, what's going on? They go, we found this guy and he had a map of your fort. He was about to betray you. Benedict Arnold tells his wife because she was in there, you know, having dinner with uh, breakfast with some of the soldiers and he tells her to distract him for a little, and he goes and gets on a boat, gets on a ship called the Vulture. That was the name of the British ship waiting for him in the Hudson. And, uh, and then he actually joins the British and kills Americans in later battles. That's Benedict Arnold. Well, General Nathaniel Green writes, Treason of the blackest eye was yesterday discovered. General Arnold, who commanded at West Point, was about to give the American cause a deadly wound, if not fatal, stab. Happily, the treason had been timely discovered to prevent the fatal misfortune. The providential train of circumstances, which led to its discovery, affords the most convincing proof that the liberties of America are the object of divine protection. Well, Yale President Ezra Stiles wrote, A providential miracle at the last minute detected the treacherous scheme of traitor Benedict Arnold, which would have delivered the American army, including George Washington himself, into the hands of the enemy. Continental Congress is so happy they have another day of Thanksgiving, the late remarkable interposition of his watchful providence in the rescuing the person of our commander-in-chief and army from imminent dangers at the moment when treason was ripened for execution. It is therefore recommended a day of public Thanksgiving to confess our unworthiness and uh, to offer fervent supplications that the knowledge of Christianity may spread over all the earth. I just think it's interesting. Here they are, thanking God Washington wasn't mm. captured, thanking God West Point wasn't captured. Oh, yeah, and we want to thank God that the knowledge of Christianity wow. spreads over all the earth. It's right there. It's in the, it's October 18, 1780 is when Continental Congress. Well, one last battle is the Battle of Cowpens that I want to talk about. And so it's uh, toward the end of the war, and the British have a colonel named Tarleton. He's nicknamed the Butcher. 
If you saw the movie The Patriot with Mel Gibson and it pictures him as the butcher, well, that's him because at the Battle of Waxhaw, the 300 Americans were surrendering and this 26-year-old Colonel Tarleton sends his men in with their sabers and they hack all the Americans to death. And so Tarleton is chasing the American general Daniel Morgan and chasing him for over a day nonstop. And Daniel Morgan realizes, I'm not going to outrun him. I got to fight. But he sets a trap. He fights in front of a river. Now, you never fight a battle in front of a river because if you're losing, it makes it really hard to run away. So it looked like a foolish thing to do. But Daniel Morgan had two groups of men, the militia, who are known for shooting a couple times and running away, and the Continental soldiers, who had been in lots of battles. They're courageous. They're not going to run away. And so he puts the militia in front. And so here's this Colonel Tarleton, sees this militia. He says, hey, it's like the Battle of Waxhaw. Guys, pull out your swords. Let's hack them. And he's charging. And the militia fire once, boom. They fire twice, boom. And then they run away. They run around the little hill. Well, behind them are the Continental soldiers, and they don't run away. And they stand there and point-blank range. They shoot and kill 100 of these British dragoons on their horses. And then the ones that ran away, they circle around the other side, and they attack the British flank, and 800 of the British throw down their weapons and surrender. Colonel Tarleton rides off, and when word gets to Cornwallis that his dragoons were captured, he was leaning on his sword. He leaned so hard, the sword snapped in half. And so Cornwallis takes off after Daniel Morgan, who's now met up with the American general, Nathaniel Green. And they make a mad dash out of South Carolina, across North Carolina, into the dismal swamp in Virginia. And the Americans cross the Catawba River. But before the British can cross, there is a flash flood. And the river rises over its banks, delaying the British. Well, the British cross. Now they're chasing the Americans to the Yadkin River. The Americans crossed before the British can start crossing another storm and flash flood, and they're delayed. And then they finally cross, and Cornwallis is trashing all of his heavy equipment, leaving his wagons behind, and it's a mad dash to the Dan River, and the Americans cross before the British can cross another flash flood, and they're, they're delayed. And the British commander, Henry Clinton, writes, Here, the Royal Army was again stopped by a sudden rise of the waters, Mm. which had only just fallen almost miraculously to let the enemy over, who could not else have eluded Lord Cornwallis' grasp, so close was he upon their rear. Well, this battle was so important because Cornwallis had been trashing his supply wagons. And so, after a short battle at Guilford Courthouse, Cornwallis is ordered to wait at Yorktown for the British Navy to come and bring him more supplies. And finally, the French show up. Ben Franklin, Marquis de Lafayette, convince King Louis XVI to send over the French Navy. They block the British, and then uh, Cornwallis surrenders, and it's effectively the end of the war. And uh, Yale President Ezra Stiles says, Who but God could have ordained the critical arrival of the Gaelic-French fleet so as to assist in the siege of Yorktown? It is God who raised up for us a powerful ally, a chosen army, a naval force who sent us Rochambeau. And so this was just a miracle. One of the quotes from John Jay, the first chief justice, he says, This glorious revolution is distinguished by so many marks of divine favor and interposition that no doubt can remain of it being supported in a manner so singular, Mm. and I may say miraculous, that when future ages shall read its history, they'll be tempted to consider a great part of it as exaggerated. That is amazing. We're talking to Bill Federer, and you know, Bill, 
as you look over our nation's history, as you have been sharing these amazing stories, you can see the hand of God on our nation, a nation that has trusted in God. You know, we continue to trust in God, but obviously, Bill, uh, we're in a very difficult time here in our nation. We see, you know, moral and spiritual, political upheaval all around us. And I want to ask you this. Is there any hope for our nation today, or is that just something that happened from the past, all these stories you've been sharing with us? Well, you look at ancient Israel, and they went into the Promised Land for 400 years. They didn't have a king, and so America's founders looked back to that as a model of a nation without a king. And the Deuteronomy 28 says, These are the blessings. If you hearken to the voice of the Lord, you'll be above, not beneath, head, not the tail. And these are the curses if you don't hearken to the voice of the Lord. You'll be a debtor and the stranger amongst you will rise up and be your ruler. So the way God punishes his people is he lets the stranger come in and rise up. And so the Hittites, the Malachites, the Moabites, the Philistines, they all come and rose up and they oppressed Israel. And so you look at America. God loves us. And the more you love someone, the more you want that someone to love you back. He loves us infinitely. God has an infinite desire for us to love him back. He doesn't need our love. He's not incomplete in any way, but he wants it. Uh, And it says in the Old Testament, I'm the Lord, my name is Jealous. So he loves us with a jealous love. And, uh, but the love by definition must be voluntary. And so uh, the moment he would force us to love him, that moment, it's no longer love, right? It's like a Mm -hmm. husband, if he twists his wife's arm and says, tell me you love me, no matter what she says, she doesn't love him. But if he woos her and courts her and defends her and protects her and out of the abundance of her heart, she says, I love you, then it means something. Right? And so God can't force us to love him because the moment he did, it wouldn't be love. So, but he does have positive and negative motivations. The positive is he blesses us so much we turn to him out of gratefulness. If that doesn't work, there's plan B. He withholds the blessings and we turn to him out of desperation. Right? So for most of America's history, he's blessed us and we've thanked him. We got him on our coins, got him on our pledge, got days of Thanksgiving. But now, no matter how much he blesses us, we're like running away and kicking him out of everything we can find. I ask people, if you were God, what would you do? Right? And so we're sort of saying it's plan B. What does that mean? That means that we need to repent really fast right. because we may be under judgment. You know, we need to turn back to the Lord. Two things happen in times of crises. It's in times of crisis that people turn to Christ. Right? Most of us don't pray as much when things are fine and dandy, unfortunately. Uh, but when crisis hits, we do pray. But also it's in times of crises that great leaders are risen up. What are the stories we love best in the Bible? Well, Moses right, stands up to Pharaoh, an 80-year-old leader. Uh, young teenager David stands up to Goliath. Uh, Gideon stands up to 150,000 Midianites or whatever. And so we see that we might be facing crises in our country's future. What's the response? We need to turn to Christ and we need to let the Lord use and raise us up to do great things for our country. Bill, thank you so much for sharing these amazing stories from our nation's history. And uh, it's just absolutely incredible to see God's hand on our nation. And you know what? God has not done with our nation. He uh, continues to bless our country. And yes, we, we certainly need to repent and and come back to him. If you want to find out more about his organization, AmericanMinute.com, AmericanMinute.com, AmericanMinute.com. In God We Trust, miracles in American history, amazing stories of answered prayer. You know what? We all need to be a voice reminding others where our hopes lie as a nation. The American Family Association has been that voice for 40 years. We invite you to join us in helping to proclaim this message of truth all across America. Thanks for joining us. The In God We Trust series. 
Celebrating American Family Association's 40 years of proclaiming that the blessings of our nation come from God's gracious hand as we've trusted in Him. We have great resources to help you proclaim that message to family and friends in this new year of 2018. They include In God We Trust wristbands, available at afastore.net.